Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we share our weekly messages, and from time to time, you'll see some other things as well. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can contact us, visit bcwc.org. Good morning. It's so good to be back upstairs. It's been a wonderful time these last few weeks as we worshiped downstairs in Lowry Hall. I kind of came to love that intimate setting, but I also love this place. Uh, It is good to be together here, so thank you again to all uh, who worked on getting the project done and cleaning up and setting up and moving equipment and all of that. Thank you. And thank you for the brave ones who decided to sit right in the new open pews. I wondered if there would still be an empty spot, but there is not. Way to go. Courage. I love it. Uh, Welcome to everybody watching online as well. Thank you for joining us as well. We're going to continue to talk about the Holy Spirit this morning, as you may have guessed from our worship, so dedicated in that way. And as we talk about the Spirit this morning, we're talking about how the Spirit works to overcome, to liberate, to free us, to free us from death and from fear, from our own shame and our own insecurities. And so to begin to illustrate that point, I thought I would do what many preachers do, and show you a funny picture from the internet. This is a classic meme format where there are two partners, and one partner is concerned. I bet my partner is thinking about other people. In this particular one, he is actually thinking, what if dogs lick us because they know that we have bones inside and they want them? The point of these jokes, which there are many like them... (laughs) Just to point out that there are times when we have these insecurities that come out into our relationships. It also points out that sometimes we think about ridiculous things, but that doesn't have anything to do with my sermon. See, there are times, I think, when we think about our relationship with God, and it can be so marked by insecurities. We can be saddled with shame. And I believe that when we let our own insecurity about our relationship to God impact us, it might also impact how we love others. If we have a hard time imagining that God could have grace and love for each of us, won't it be hard for us to imagine that for our neighbor? For those perhaps that we disagree with. I believe we cannot freely and fully love our neighbors and do our mission as Christians in the world if we are always living under fear of condemnation and failure if we are trapped in shame. When we disappoint ourselves and assume God must be disappointed in us, that God may not care about us, love us, forgive us, when we think we must prove our worth to God, So today we'll see how the Spirit sets us free. Free from that shame and fear. Free from our trajectory towards death by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are liberated to new life right now. So, so far we've been talking about the Holy Spirit uh, and we've seen some things about the Spirit. 
We've learned that the Holy Spirit is our guide and advocate in a murky world. That the Spirit points us to Christ and Christ's character. The Spirit reminds us who we are despite the storm around us. The Spirit reminds us we are loved. God is with us. We saw that in the New Testament in the Gospels as Jesus was talking about sending a helper, an advocate to his church. Then we went to the book of Acts and saw the beginning stories of the church and the Spirit enter into the picture. We learned that the Holy Spirit empowers an otherwise weak community. So I think some working definitions of the Holy Spirit to help us, we want to remind you of these, that the Holy Spirit is the personal, powerful presence of God. And the Holy Spirit is sought. The Holy Spirit comes upon men and women in powers, guides us, graces us, shapes lives, watches over our destinies exactly as God does each of these things. For the Holy Spirit is God. God is Holy Spirit. Now for the remaining two weeks of our look at the Holy Spirit, we're going to turn to the letters in the New Testament. Passing past these stories of the Gospels and the stories of the early church into correspondence from Christian leaders to churches. Confronting the challenges that they are facing. And so today we turn to a letter to the church in Rome. This church has been persecuted, dealt with many challenges. The daily challenges of following Jesus as King when they are in the center of the Roman Empire. And despite all of those big challenges, the Apostle Paul is also addressing the very personal challenges believers were facing at the time. And so we turn to Romans. And we'll start in chapter 7, where the Apostle Paul is being vulnerable and admitting some of his own challenges as a Christian. This is Romans 7. We'll start in verse 18. For I know that the good does not dwell within me that is my flesh. For the desire to do good lies close at hand, but not the ability. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with that law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my body. Apostle Paul writing to these Christians say, I, I want to do good. I know how to do all the right good things. And yet, I continue to fall into the same traps. Paul says there is, is something within me in the flesh. Now when Paul says flesh, he doesn't simply mean body. Sometimes we think Paul thinks body, bad, spirit, good. That's not really what's happening here. When Paul thinks about flesh, he's thinking about a way of living in the world. He doesn't think there's a problem with bodies. Remember, God came in Jesus in flesh with a body. When God created the world and created humanity with bodies, God said it was good. 
No, for Paul, flesh is this way of living that is reacting to the reality of death and evil and sin in the world. It is a way of living that is a way of fear. That is a way prone towards decay and death. It is a way that tries to make ourselves God and always falls short. Paul says, despite his desire to do and live as he would like to, he falls short. And as Paul reflects on the commands of Scripture, he sees that they are good and there is beauty, but he seems unable to act upon them. He cannot live in the way he wants to. He cannot live the way of God. He continues to find himself captive to a nature that leads him towards reactivity and selfishness and fear. And so do we. As much as we desire it, we still fall into these traps. I've been cut off in traffic and reacted. I don't know about you. At times we respond in ways we wish that we hadn't. At times we respond out of fear. The scripture shows us that God's goal is to give life to God's creation. That they might be saved from death and decay and thrive and flourish among all creation forever. The Old Testament pointed to that. But this life, we can't make it there on our own. Paul sees that. He says, I can't progress enough. Humanity can't progress enough on its own. History has shown us that. We still are prone to fear and destruction and harm. Paul is illuminating this problem that all of us face. And when we become aware of that problem, how do we respond to it? One way many of us might respond is with shame. To hide it. Pretend like we never mess up. Pretend like everybody else must never know that we might have messed up. To think perhaps God won't catch on. <laughs> when I was a kid, in, in middle school age, I started to get into some of the classic trouble middle schoolers get into. And let me clarify, I was doing things that would result in trouble, but I wasn't actually getting into trouble because I was good at not letting my parents find out. The problem was that as I got into more and more trouble, every time the phone in our house would ring, and we had one of those phones that was like plugged into the wall, this is how long ago that was, when the phone would ring, I would have this reaction in my body, <gasps> someone's calling to tell, I'm going to be found out. And if they find out, will they disown me? Will my parents abandon me? Will they no longer Love me. Think highly of me. Want the best for me. It was an awful way to spend my days, right? Every time the phone rang to be reacting with fear. Paul's describing something similar here. All he sees around him is failure. It consumes his thoughts. I know that chapter 7 here, it is a bummer of a chapter. Things look bad. And then we get to Romans chapter 8. If you'll turn with me there to Romans 8, we'll look at verses 1 and 2. 
Paul says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. This is jarring. Because Paul has just set up something so brutal and difficult and challenging. Oh, what do we do? We can't even control our own actions. And then verse chapter 8, we get to this light of hope. There's no condemnation. We think we're helpless. There's nothing we can do. Oh, and then we see there is no condemnation. Paul will spend the rest of the chapter showing how, why, because, all of these things. But he wanted to give us this good news quickly. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, you're prone to fail. But it's not the end. It isn't fatal. You don't have to stay that way. There is no condemnation for knowing what we should do. And yet sometimes... Falling down. There is no condemnation for not measuring up. There is no condemnation from sin, from failures, from mistakes for those who are in Christ. That word condemnation can also mean curse. To be in Christ means you're set free from the unconquerable curse of sin, death, selfishness, shame. These curses we feel within ourselves and yet in Christ. We are set free. The text says in some way the Holy Spirit is there bringing and giving life, dwelling within us. The Spirit now shapes the life of the Christian. The tyranny of sin and death is broken. To kind of grasp how wild this transition is that we see here, I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine you've been invited to a party. It's the best party you've ever heard of, and your most favorite celebrity will be there as the guest of honor and can't wait to meet you. I don't know who that is for you. Imagine. The thing is, you have to drive yourself there. That's the one thing. <laughs> and you react and say, oh, let me tell you about the circumstances that I'm in. This is what chapter 7 is showing us. It's like this. You say, oh, I'd love to go to the party, but, but, but my car has a flat tire. My engine actually uh, is blown and my license is expired. And recently I've developed cataracts I can't even see. <laughs> you don't want me on the road. It's almost what it feels like in Romans 7. We see what God has for us, this way of living, but uh, I don't know what I'm going to do with that. And then we see in Romans 8, it's like if whoever invited us to the party says, no problem, a mechanic has already come. <laughs> They've come to your house and repaired both your tire and your engine. I already submitted your paperwork and sat in line all day at the DMV for you. Your new license is in your mailbox. And while you were napping, you didn't realize it, but a surgeon came and took care of those cataracts. Can't you tell? You can see can't wait to see you at the party. <laughs> it's similar to what we experience here when we see chapter 8. Paul sets this up to be so hopeless. We fail and we disappoint and there's nothing we can do on our own. And you're not alone. <laughs> and it wasn't up to you 
anyway by the cross and the Spirit, you've been set free to rich life, new life, no condemnation, no curse that can't be overcome. And the Spirit is involved in this process because the Spirit is with us through all of this, continually setting us free. My friend Preston, who himself battled with shame for much of his life, said it like this one time. Christ paid it all with his life. God did not come to condemn us, but condemn the things that kept us from God. When Jesus comes to us, Jesus doesn't say shame on you. He says shame off of you. There is no condemnation. Another writer says, long ago, our, our, our struggles with sin that we're powerless to overcome. Banished from our hearts and minds is the fear that comes with wondering if you're doing enough to please God, to curry God's saving favor. We don't have to do that. The cross, the Spirit has done the work. There is no condemnation. Now, yes, we fail. Sin is real and it is a problem. This is not a license to do whatever you want and ignore God's call to obedience and love and self-sacrifice. We take it seriously. But we don't have to be afraid. Christ has dealt with sin and death. The Spirit is working with us so we might flourish. I want to keep reading from Romans 8. This is 3 and 4. For God has done what the law, the commands weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to deal with sin, God condemned sin in the flesh so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the way of the flesh, but the way of the Spirit. Paul is saying God's laws and commands are good and right, but the laws themselves won't change our behavior, can't make us right. We fall down in their face. We see that we're weak. The law itself could not set us free from sin and death. It could only tell us what we should do. Point us in a way. But the Spirit gives us power to live in a new way. Jesus has the power to set us free. Jesus took on the same flesh that we have. Walked in the same world where there is sin and evil, decay and death. Sin and evil and death did their worst to Christ on the cross. And He rose again. He overcame. There's an old legend that traces back as far as Aesop about this fox who is covered in fleas. What should the fox do? The fleas are everywhere, and they're painful. And the story goes that the fox takes a wool, a piece of wool off of a sheep, holds it in its mouth, and goes into a pond. As the fox lowers itself deeper and deeper into the water, the fleas, fleeing for higher ground, work their way up the fox's body until all of them are on the wool as the fox submerges beneath the water. And then the fox releases the wool. 
There this little boat of fleas floats away and the fox swims home clean. This is a similar metaphor to what Paul is describing here. A metaphor that falls short but points to something that Christ does for us. That all of sin and evil and death did its worst on Christ. All of us itching in our own weakness and God says, I will take it all on myself. God took evil, sin, death on in the person of Christ God with us. Sets us free and gives us the Spirit. In middle school, eventually, uh, one of those phone calls was somebody telling my parents about something that I was involved in, and it was awful. I got in trouble. We had to sit down and talk. And there were consequences. There are always consequences, of course. I don't really remember what those were, but what I remember is my parents told me they loved me. They expected more out of me, and they would do some things to make sure I didn't get into that trouble again. But they didn't leave. They didn't condemn me. They were with me. I realize we all aren't lucky enough to have parents like that. It's a privilege for me to have a mom and a stepdad who love me like that. But we all have the same God. A God who is loving. Who is with us. Who says, child of God, follow Christ. There is no condemnation. I believe when we believe this about ourselves, and it is hard, it is why the Spirit must be with us to set us free and remind us that we are free. But when we believe this, it impacts how we live. To nudge us, guide us, live more and more on the way towards Christ. To take on the Spirit, embrace, to live like Christ. The Spirit helps us apply what we have heard or known to how we live to overcome our failures to get back up. How does that impact the world around us? Well, for many people outside of the church, the last place they would go to for help or encouragement is a church. Why do you think that is? What do you think we can do that, about that in our little corner of the earth? I really believe if we don't believe what Paul says about our standing before God in Romans chapter 8, there is no condemnation. How would we ever expect anyone else to think they'd have a chance at freedom, change, transformation? So yes, let us take sin and evil seriously. But let's do it from a position of joy and confidence. We know that God says there is no condemnation. Do we live like it? I showed you that silly picture at the beginning of the message with one partner imagining the other partner's thoughts. And I think we do this with God all the time. Imagine God thinking, what do I do with you? You're worthless, unworthy, too far gone. I could never use you. You could never help out. You really have nothing to offer. We imagine God saying these things. In reality, God says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. 
Invite God to fill your lungs with God's spirit and presence to set you free, to know that you are loved and there is no condemnation. As we close this morning, I'd like for us to do an exercise together. This is a responsive reading. I'll read uh, the part that's not in bold and I'll ask you to respond in bold. And this comes from further down in Romans chapter 8. This comes out of verses 33 and 39. So I'll read the not bold. You read the bold. Are you ready? This is exciting. This is like a call and response. You ready to participate? Okay, here we go. Who can bring a charge against God's people? Next slide. God is the one who justifies and makes us right and makes us his people. Who is the one that condemns? It is Christ who died, or rather was raised, who is also at the right hand of God, who also prays and advocates for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? No one. one. Will affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. No. No, it is in all things we are more than victorious through him who loved us. I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you that there is nothing that will separate us from your love. It is hard to believe it sometimes. And so we invite your spirit to continue to liberate us. To liberate us from our own shame and our own fear. To liberate us from the sin that entangles and snares. We will never liberate ourselves. But your spirit is with us. And so may we grow to be more like you. May the setbacks not be fatal, but a reminder to turn back to God. May your spirit walk with us, pulse through us, and may this attitude of no condemnation leak out of us into the way we interact with the world. For nothing separates us from your love. May we live like it's true. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or are looking for ways that you can support God's work at this church, visit bcwc.org. And as you go, through whatever your day may throw at you, I want to share this blessing with you. May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness, protect you in the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go and be the church.